Frank, Frank, I want to start off and say congratulations to us. For what? What did we do? We don't do anything. Well, I want to announce that technically on Fireside, our podcast host, we have now reached a half a million downloads of Merge Conflict. Oh, dang. That's a lot. Okay. All right. That is worth celebrating. So everyone um, clap your hands. We did it. We did it. And actually, (laughs) it's more like 600,000 because we used to be on Simplecast and then we moved to Fireside. So we're doing. I think it's more like 700,000, you know, rounding up. Sure. I believe it. It may be. I forget the number when we left Simplecast because it was we had a lot of episodes over there. And I mean, they all came over to Fireside. But I mean, I'm really happy with the move. They just rolled out um, new chapter support this week. So it's going to make my life a lot easier. I was using Forecast, which I talked about. But in general, very excited um, for it. And even Pocket Casts over there, I was tweeting at them. I said, when are you guys going to feature us? You know, there are like <laughs> third most popular application to download the podcast. And while they did not guarantee anything, Frank, they did let me know that they in- really really like our podcast name so that's good what okay so you actually got in contact with them and they actually replied very good james you're doing well on the marketing front <laughs> i, I do didn't know what i were, can i didn't know they were so popular so they're almost like another index huh so we got to get pocket casted yeah you get pocket cast. well they i think they scrape itunes and then mm-hmm. that they give you a nice short url the nice thing about pocket cast is that there is an iphone android and windows app and a browser app and nice. I think it's the best Android app. It is paid. It's like $5 or something, but oh yeah, $5, you know, yeah. and it syncs between all of those devices. You have to buy it again on each platform. But for me, it's pretty phenomenal. And I, I like it. it has a lot of nice features. I mean, it's no. Are we sucking up to it now? Is that what we're There's... doing? Because I used it in the past and I loved it. It was like the best podcast player ever. I mean, it's no <laughs> MoCast, but what is it? So. I just wanted to thank you personally, Frank, for sticking with me for 110 episodes. Uh, yeah, I- I'm here for the long run, buddy. We're going up to 120 at least. So <laughs> at a bare like- minimum. <laughs> um, is that like a gold record or a silver record or like an aluminum record? Do we make any records? I like records. Well, on Fireside, they give you little assist trophies and we got a <laughs> rainbow so maybe we'll get a double oh. rainbow when we reach one million. Mm, I like, okay. I want the old recording studio style, but sure. I want something I can hang on the wall, but I guess we'll wait for the next big milestone. Oh, maybe we could, I could start to produce some actual physical things like the YouTube, no. you know, the YouTube subscriber <laughs> trophies that they hand out. <laughs> Are you going to make one for yourself? I think that's oh. a little too deep. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm totally into it. I'm just going to hang it on my wall. I'm like, well, we did it. 500,000. Yeah. Well, well, our fans did it. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yes. Thank you for listening. And Frank, I did mention it is episode 110, which means it's lightning talk rounds. Woohoo! My favorite time. This is the one where we thought we were going to do less work by just doing a bunch of short topics, but then we quickly realized, oh my God, we're doing five, six topics. How many are we doing today, James? We're doing six topics submitted by you, our listeners. We want to thank everyone on Twitter and our Patreons who supported us by making a bunch of great topics. And if you're newer to Merge Conflict, well, lightning round talks thingies happen every 10 episodes. 
and we take six topics, five minutes each, things that we've always wanted to talk about or things that you want us to talk about, and we do it. Yeah, I have total faith that we're going to nail it this time. I think we've been getting a little weak. We've been a little bit sloppy, I think, but this time I'm going to watch the clock and we're going to nail it. Five All minutes right, each. Well, I- that's it. Well, I am I am ready. I'm ready to do this thing. And the first one that came in, we kind of remixed it a little bit, but we do talk about cross-platform user interfaces. But one, one of our supporters was asking us our thoughts on this new cross-platform library called Uno. Not the board game, not the card game, not Uno Attack, but Uno, platform.uno, which is a cross-platform. Let me I, I do it correct. It's a cross-platform way of building apps for mobile and web powered by XAML and C-sharp, which sounds very familiar, Frank, (laughs) but it is based on the UWP schema of things built on top of Xamarin and other technologies. Is that correct? Oh, boy. Wow. I I know about this because I got a nice intro about it at Build while we were at the Mm -hmm. conference. So I actually got to sit down with one of the authors from it. I think it's a pretty big group effort, and it has to be because, as he said, yeah, it's the UWP API, which, you know, took Microsoft years to develop and billions of (laughs) um, programming hours and all that stuff. So how can a small team replicate it? Well, they can't do 100%, but what they did do was the UI layer. So it is very similar, in fact, to Xamarin Forms, but Xamarin Forms made their own XAML optimized for mobile, whereas this Uno, I guess you could almost think of it as an open source implementation of UWP and definitely at least the uh, UI layer and probably some of the service layers too. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like they have some kind of web playground thing that you can play around with. And they describe it really well as the heads, right? Just like Xamarin does with the different heads. And in fact, it's built on top of Xamarin. So you get a Xamarin Android or a Xamarin iOS application at the end of the day. Now, what I'm a little confused with is I don't did you think that did they go down and just build it on top of Xamarin forms for iOS and Android? Or did they just go on top of UIKit and Android? That's what they did. They did not go through Xamarin Forms. So this is a whole separate library. Um, you could think from the ground up if you think those <laughs> APIs are the ground. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive from that standpoint because they implemented Android and iOS, as you said, but also implemented WebAssembly, HTML. So not only can you run an Uno app on Windows because it's just UWP, you can run it on Android, you can run it on iOS, and you can run it as a web assembly. So it's a little competitor to UI. (laughs) And I think it's just fantastic. That's how I first found out about it. Um, They had gotten that web assembly part working. And you can now write uh, UWP apps and emit HTML and make them into web apps. It's super exciting. I do like that. I mean. Is it the same as how you built it on top of ASP.NET or is it its own thing? Did you get to explore that at all? Uh, It's its own thing, but it was based on my work, at least the early bits, uh, just trying to get everything working. I kind of did the nasty part of gluing together a few pieces that gave people a template. They fixed all the bugs I introduced, (laughs) made improvements on the design and released it. Uh, it, it's, It's fascinating because they took They had to do all the same work I had to do uh, and more. I think the UWP API is bigger than the Xamarin Forms API. In fact, I I know it is. (laughs) So uh, quite a bit of work to do all that. 
but man, how, how exciting is that to have another full featured library? And this one is um, uh, an API that a lot of people know. Yeah, I think if you're a UWP developer, it seems like that's a really nice uh, thing that you can do. I mean, there's some nice things like they, you know, they have brushes and animations. Now, I haven't gone through it too much. I've downloaded the actual gallery app that they have. And I mean, it seems like they have most of the some of the base basic controls that you would expect. My concern here, though, is that since it is newer, like what is the ecosystem like? What is what is the support? What is how, the, you know, are the extensions for Xamarin forms going to work or how do you create new controls or, you know, what's the plugin architecture? Like, well, just plugins work because those are Xamarin, like I'd assume they would, but that's my only concern, like with any new cross-platform framework, right? Even when Xamarin forms were new, was new, that was the, the, that's always the problem of anything new, which is if I have a UWP app, like, can I just put it on this thing? I don't know. That's my concern. Well, that's definitely the goal. And I'll say, no, it didn't come for free. But I think some of their latest demos show using third-party UWP controls with it. So that's definitely their goal because they don't want to create a schism in the the world. (laughs) But, you know, it's a lot of work still. I I think it's cool. They got a lot of stuff open source, and I like that. So, I mean, overall, it seems like if you're just wanting to kind of explore a little bit, and it's there. It seems like uh seems pretty cool. I mean, especially if you're uh, if you are like, I only want to write, you know, UWP XAML and that's it. <laughs> you know, I think it's probably the main benefit. But yeah, for me, I, I'm pretty tried and true in my Xamarin Forms days, but um, I need to actually sit down and, and try something out. Yeah, uh, especially because it's supported by a bunch of smart people, too. <laughs> so good to see it come together. Yeah. Well, talking about Xamarin Forms a little bit and cross-platform UI, one of our listeners asked us a very specific question, which was, can we explain explain in deep, deep details how Xamarin <laughs> Forms renderings work? Oh, boy. It's a great question. And College class time. <laughs> yes. And I try, to, I try to sit down and explain just in general what I thought this meant and how it kind of works. So I'm going to try to explain mm-hmm. and then Frank will correct me. So how Xamarin, okay. so how, does that sound okay? Yeah, I like this. I like this format. It's good. Great. Let's do this for everything. So how Xamarin Forms works. Well, first there is the concept and idea that you begin with the layout system. So the layout is almost 100% controlled by Xamarin Forms laying the layout engine of how controls are laid down. It still does, as Frank has corrected me earlier, use the native underlying optimizations of, of Android and iOS and things like that. But most of it is handled there. Now, the next part is the actual controls. The controls, when you create a button, is a Xamarin Forms button. And every single view that you lay down or layout or anything has a renderer behind it. And the renderer tells the Xamarin Forms layout engine kind of what how to lay down the controls and what the controls are so a button will lay down an android u widget button or a ui button from ios and it has all the properties so there's layers to it i like to describe it as two layers there's the xamarin forms abstraction which then underneath under the hood has this wrapper control 
which may be wrapped in another view group to handle additional things. But that underlying renderer control has all of the properties that need to be set when other properties change, raise events, and propagate things back and forth. So that's kind of how I describe, maybe that's too high level of how mm-hmm. Xamarin Forms works. Yes, no, maybe so. Yeah, I'm, I'm going for a definite yes. It's funny, though, how we use such different vocabulary, you and I, because it's not at all how I would have described it. But yeah, that, that's a pretty complete picture. Um, I, I want to fill in a few little funny details. Uh, so the layout system is kind of the most important part, I would say, of Xamarin Forms, but it's also very cross-platform, which is what makes it kind of easy to move Xamarin Forms to other platforms, and it just kind of moves around nicely. That part um, has this really nice thing where there's measuring system built in. Anyone who's built custom controls for Xamarin Forms kind of gets to know this because controls need to say, oh, this is the size I want to be. This is the size I need to be to fit on the screen. These are my minimum sizes. So the Xamarin Forms layout engine has to take all that into account. And you run into that when you're building custom controls sometimes, especially the more sophisticated ones. But that's just... um, a fun little feature of it. And then I do like to emphasize um, these renders aren't cheap. They're, they're, they're just middlemen, and you described it right. It's transferring from the world of Xamarin Forms into the native UI library, but they come at a cost. And I think on iOS, we don't really see that cost because iOS is awesome. <laughs> but on Android, layering has um, actual performance costs in the UI system. And these renderers can sometimes cause trouble in that regard because there is, unfortunately, as you said, a view group or some kind of view thing uh, for every control. Yeah, and built into Xamarin Forms are two different types of technologies to handle that. I'm doing a a session actually at VS Live, funnily enough, next week in Redmond, which will be when this comes out. And I'm talking about layout compression and fast renders. And these are two different things. Layout compression says, hey, a layout is is just kind of laying down the control and optimizing it. And if you're not using certain properties where like a background color, it's it's just the layout container that you're putting it in a stack layout, it could actually remove that from the hierarchy. So you can enable that on a layout by layout basis. It's, it's very easy to do. And then there's fast renders, which I believe are only available on Android today. And that entire concept is to remove what you were just talking about, a layer from the renderer, and it can flatten it out. I think it supports buttons, entries and labels, I believe today, oh, I want to yeah. say those. The comments and controls. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where you feel the hurt, right? If my control has a million labels on it, then I have 2 million views. You know, that just, that's not good. You don't want that kind of scaling. It is funny though. You, you say iOS doesn't have it. I, I, as far as I know, the team was definitely considering iOS and then it just didn't make a difference in performance. So they're just like, eh, don't really need it there. So not needed. So don't think that iOS is lagging behind or anything. There just weren't measurable improvements or, or worth the time investing in it as far as I understood. But yeah, super cool, right? So you can optimize the actual things on the screen or optimize the hierarchy. It's like two different levels of optimization there. Yeah, I, I like the optimizing Xamarin Forms. And in fact, I got a listener question uh, by this gentleman uh, named Frank Kruger. I don't know if you've heard of oh. him. Uh, no, sounds like a rascalian. He really likes machine learning and AI. He likes to you know mention it from time to time. But he asked me a question today, and I figured that I would take a moment to go through this. Frank says, and I quote, well, 
you know, Xamarin Forms controls are native, but you can't even get a translucent navigation bar. <laughs> and that's pretty, that's a pretty accurate representation. So I would like to correct you and say, no, you are wrong. Because what Xamarin Forms does is it abstracts all sorts of things into platform, independent, cross-platform things, right? A list view, and you don't have to worry about in a selection and events. But the problem in general that we always have is that iOS, Android, and Windows, they're just a little bit different, Frank. They just are. Mm, mm. Yeah, it turns out Android loves their flat colors and iOS loves vibrancy and blurs and layering and all that stuff. Yeah, and there's some things, for instance, like the iPhone X or 10, as some people may call it, which you know has safe zones and has these you know borders and things that you have to worry about. And that really only applies to iOS and only to maybe some pages based on here laying on the controls. Mm-hmm. So what Xamarin Forms did is they have these things called platform specifics. And anyone cr- can create one of these, but they build it into the platform, a whole bunch of them. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, this, you know, just shouldn't even exist. This seems silly. But then as I started using them, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. So for instance, Inside of your XAML or in your code behind, you can bring in the namespace of Xamarin Forms like .ios.platform and then .android.platform or whatever. And inside of those lights up additional IntelliSense when you say Android colon or iOS colon or whatever you name your namespace inside the XAML. And what that does is give you access to a whole bunch of different properties. So for instance, on a navigation page on iOS, you can say that it prefers large titles. You can say navigation bars translucent status bar text color mode and adjust the colors on a uh, list view. You can um, modify the separator style Mm -hmm. or for instance, you can adjust the pan gesture recognizer. So should it be simultaneous or or, or, simultaneous or not or update the picker mode on Android? There's a whole bunch of great things like they just added tab page. You can adjust the toolbar placement. Do you want it on the top or on the bottom? For the tabs? Do you want to change the bar item, the bar selected color, um, the web view things? So there's a whole bunch of these built in. You can send, you can set a whole bunch of them. You can create your own too, but they're all built in, which is really, really nice for each platform. So that when you really want to get into the fine tuning back and forth, platform specific things are there. They're a little bit less discoverable. That's the problem, yeah. Frank. That's the problem, but they're there. Yeah, you gave me this answer. After I meh, meh, mad, you you gave me this answer and I had to admit, fine, it's fine. Because yeah, what would Translucent do on Android? Like it, it does kind of change the behavior of the app. So I guess fine, it's, it's platform specific. I do have one question. Is it just one namespace on both iOS and Android? Or do you open up like an iOS namespace and open up an Android namespace? Or is it all just under one big thing? No, they're different. So you would add three because they're all different. So there's uh, Xamarin Forms, platform configuration, dot iOS specific, dot Android mm-hmm. specific, dot Windows mm-hmm. specific or whatever. So they're okay. all different. Yeah. Okay. But that's cool. Uh, I was actually hoping it was that way. So it doesn't get too cluttered when you're doing your searches. So yeah. are we working on the XAML editor to make Android colon work great? <laughs> well, the nice thing is in Visual Studio 2017, 15.7 update, which has been out for a long time now, that mm-hmm. has a whole brand new XAML IntelliSense engine, and that works pretty flawless. And I would like to see the same for Visual Studio for Mac. I don't think it has 
everything in there. I think if you add mm-hmm. the namespace manually, then it will propagate the the things for you. But I okay. don't know if okay. it has everything there yet, yet to be validated. I was going to say, just pop that into the standard template because that feels like fun stuff. Like who doesn't love tuning for the platform, especially when it's just declarative stuff? Like that's fun. That's easy. Yeah, that is a good question. I would love feedback from uh, now I'm into a non-merge conflict, more of a PM zone. Like, I would <laughs> okay. love feedback from our seconds. customers. <laughs> yeah, so I would like to know how you would um, uh, like to see that in there. But yeah, good. Um, PM. Yeah, thanks, PM. Uh, that's a program manager. That's what I do. Well, let's take a quick break from this rapid lightning talk action, Frank, Ooh. to thank Ooh. our sponsor this week. Woo! is a conference I'm going to be at next week, but you can attend throughout the year, Visual Studio Live. They are the development world's trusted educational provider of development-focused content since 1993. And they're celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Visual Studio Live is great because all throughout the year, they have developer conferences all around and through all over the place, the United States. We've talked about them before, and they still have two more upcoming So they're going to be in, sorry, three more upcoming. They're going to be in Chicago in September uh, 17th through the 20th. And what's great here is that they cover all things from the wide world of Microsoft and Xamarin development and web development. So they talk everything Visual Studio, DevOps, ASP.NET Core, Angular, Xamarin, and they even get a little bit outside of that too. So you get some really interesting talks, even about non-Microsoft technologies. Now, what I like here is that they have amazing speakers. I mean, I'll be at quite a few of these these years, so I'm not going to toot my own horn, but there's some amazing speakers that will be there uh, all throughout the year. And for all of our listeners, whether you attend Chicago in September, San Diego in October, or Orlando, where I'll be in December, you can get $500 off with our exclusive discount code, MergeConflict. All one word, MergeConflict. All you got to do is go to vslive.com. That's it. Go to vslive.com, pick a show, tell your boss, I need to go get some training. Boom. You get to hang out with me at VS Live. It'll be great. So thanks to our sponsor, VS Live, for sponsoring this episode. And uh, that's it, Frank. Thanks to VS Live. Oh, that's awesome. That's the one thing I miss about a corporate job is getting free training. <laughs> take advantage of it, people. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, take advantage. It's there. That was my actually funny story, sidebar, is that I don't think I would have I would not be in the roller position that I was at if it wasn't for going to developer conferences on uh, my company's training budget. Because I worked at Canon. I may have told this story. I worked at Canon and they sent me and some of my coworkers to PDC, the Professional Developers Conference. You remember that? Yeah, I never got to go to one. So you're ahead of me. Well, I went to the very last one, which was in beautiful (laughs) Redmond, Washington. Lovely. And you just fell in love with the Pacific Northwest. I did fall in love with the Pacific Northwest. Gosh darn it. And uh, I fell in (laughs) love with uh, mobile development. That's where I got my very first Windows phone. I started writing apps. And a year later, I moved to Seattle, became a mobile app developer, and the rest is history. Wow, that was fast. I didn't know it was quite that fast. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I don't want to say for for any managers out there, just because I quit my job. Oh, yeah. What did you do? (laughs) You just sabotaged it all. Don't don't cut that part out. (laughs) That's that's not going to happen. But anyways, that's my story. (laughs) All right. So what else do we have, Frank? What's the next topic? All right. We're going to switch to the nerdy here. All right. This question came in and they would like a discussion about 
memory profiling and perf profiling. I think we did a performance episode last time, but we didn't really um, talk about memory too much. And it's a great topic because as much as I love optimizing CPUs because it's fun, making code fast, making it short, doing little things, uh, turns out memory is really important. When we were talking about um, the span episode and we were talking about the new pipeline, system IO pipelines, I kept saying things like, every time you access memory, you're killing your performance. (laughs) And that's unfortunate because we need memory. We need to do things, but memory is just so slow. And so you realize over time, less memory actually does make for better apps too. Uh, Faster and better apps. So let's do it. What What do you know about memory profiling? Ah, memory profiling. Well, you know, I try to use our profilers uh, when Mm -hmm. I need to see what's being generated. I think for memory profiling, for me, there's really two things and maybe there's more that I want to see if I'm leaking memory. So am I not unsubscribing from events or do I have a circular, uh, you know, thing that just memory can't be released essentially? Um, And or am I just creating way too many objects into memory? Like, is there some tightly coupled loop that's creating a bunch of objects on a page and like why can't why am I creating so many to kind of bloat that current page of my document are those the two things that you look for yeah uh you're you're throwing off big objects too because obviously they're terrible (laughs) yeah and it's always easier to optimize away big stuff than little stuff but yeah those are definitely the ones and I think I I've kind of fallen in love with the memory profiling tools every time I use them. I use the one for Visual Studio for Mac. It's the same as the one you're using on Windows, right? It's Mm cross-platform? Yeah, it's cross-platform. Okay, Okay. yeah, I'm sorry. I just didn't know. Um, This one's great because just like you would think, you can do snapshots in your app. So my apps are often opening documents. So before I open the document, while the document's open, and I close the document. And I am looking for those reference cycles because they are super important. But the truth is, most apps can handle a few leaky reference cycles. It's not going to hurt anything, the, the truth, truthiness out there. Uh, but when they do become bad is when they're holding on to native resources and things like that. So if there's still a window handle or a network connection, you know, things like that, you're always watching out for. But I find it just gives such a nice map of my app. Maybe I obsess over my code a little bit too much. But when I see that it's allocating 10,000 lists of T, and then I'm just like, huh, do I really need to be allocating (laughs) all these things? And so you should definitely um, measure everything and decide whether you need performance upgrades or alternatively, if you're like me, just optimize things for the fun of it because, oh my God, it's so much fun to get your memory count down. <laughs> and the tools are so good. It says like this object was allocated here. It's being referenced by these other objects. It can get a little gnarly if you have a lot of objects, which usually means your app is running slow anyway. So maybe you should fix that. Like I always think um, if the memory profiling tool is running too slow, then maybe I'm allocating too many objects. <laughs> so that's also a little test I run. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that 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 all, that all makes sense to me. I I've used DDMS before the the Android kind of profiling tool. I never mm. use what's the iOS one? Uh, instruments and that one's nice. The problem is it doesn't have all the metadata that C Sharp comes with, so it doesn't understand reference cycles. And specifically for .NET programmers, it doesn't understand the garbage collector. So for .NET. 
I, I, I use the memory profiler just to know generally how much memory I'm using, but I can never use it to investigate. You know, you need a, something more specific to investigate. Is there anything that you do for perf kind of performance testing or optimization? You mean like CPU perf? Oh my God. I, I could spend all day doing perf stuff. <laughs> I mean, but that's my biggest hobby. But I, I would say perf is kind of in some ways easy. It's look at all the functions that you're calling a lot. Uh, try not to call them. <laughs> and you, you usually do that by uh, changing algorithms, which sounds hard and it is. Uh, and usually we don't have basic algorithms that we can choose from. Uh, or <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. You just keep changing it until it works. <laughs> until <laughs> the performance is faster. <laughs> Like maybe re- <laughs> continue to change your application until it's better. That's okay, the- well, let me let me let me. Okay, I didn't phrase that well. Let me try again. I, I had an app. Uh, we've talked about it before, where I wanted to render real time buses on a first generation iPhone. It ended up being a very slow device, and I wanted you know ten thirty frames per second. And I just had to keep dumbing down the map, dumbing down the map, dumbing down the map. You know, you just, you adapt to the device. So sometimes what you learn while you're doing performance stuff is, well, maybe I just have to do a little bit less work. You know, it's like the people that complain about the table view, they can't hold 10,000 items. And you're just like, well, don't put 10,000 items in a table view. It's bad UX. It's just bad app design. So often it's just ask it to do a little bit less. And that's when you've hit the wall of, I either can't tune this code anymore or I, yeah, don't have time, whatever, all that stuff. If you're animating every single view and your view slow, maybe you shouldn't animate every <laughs> single view. Boom. That's uh, Frank's right. tips. Tip of the week. Stop. Wow, wow. Way to reduce it, man. I, I thought I actually said something intelligent there, but nope. <laughs> brought it around. Well, let me ask you, Frank, another question which came from our listener on the Twitters. I should be reading back the names. The first one was yeah. Soy Nerdito, and, the, and then Adam Excellent. was there. And then I guess the next one was from Kabubu. That's what I'm going to uh, attempt to say people's names. Okay. Best practices for authentication. What do you know about authentication, Frank? <laughs> I don't know too much. I know to stay as far away from it as I can. Never run a server, that's for sure. But try not to write clients for them either. <laughs> try never to ask the user for their password. Try not to store it. All the above. So these are my tips of the day. Just don't write the code. No. There you go. I, I <laughs> Not good enough. <laughs> I would like to agree with you that I prefer, I prefer in any way to stay as far away from authentication as humanly possible. Yes. <laughs> public now, data for everything. <laughs> public data for everything. Now, if you can't. There are a few things. There's OAuth. Just think of raw OAuth 2 protocol. And that is a essentially a standard that a lot of third-party SDKs can handle, whether it's Xamarin Auth, whether there's like Auth0. There's a whole bunch of different Auth providers that can wrap around just Auth2 calls or OAuth, OAuth2 calls, or they provide other things where you can log in and they handle things back and forth for you. But I think of authentication, it's like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like for me, I had to accomplish logging into meetup.com and I followed their practices and I deserialized stuff and I stored their token in secure storage uh, with you know essentials and then go from there. And that's what I kind of do um, as far as if I have to integrate with a public AP, 
API? Is that kind of what you do or had to do? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like pretty much all APIs have kind of standardized on the authenticate, get a token back kind of system, whether it's OAuth or, you know, any just made up API thing. We've all kind of established the token system. So, yeah, it's gotten pretty easy these days. It's generally pop up a web view, have a few callbacks, um, get a token and store it. And as you said, um, that storing part actually used to be kind of hard. It was because it's different code between Xamarin and uh, between iOS and Android. And so thank you for that Xamarin Essential. Uh, Secure secure storage, it's called, right? It's a key value store. It is a key value store called, yeah, secure storage. (laughs) Yeah, for strings. Yeah. Yeah, because it's different than preferences because it stores it in your keychain or your key store or anything like that that you need handles it for you. It could technically be slow, so you don't want to do a lot of stuff around that. And I, I do love that we've moved away from OAuth, because at first when you were talking, I was like, oh my God, is he about to say like old OAuth, OAuth 1? And that thing was terrible. So mm-hmm. thank God we're not there anymore. Now, I would say if you are having to integrate with something such as Azure AD, Active Directory, or you want to do social auth and you're creating a new app, you know, at Microsoft, the product that I've used personally in the past is called um, Azure Active Directory B2C, that is business to consumer. So that is a what, sexy name. <laughs> Azure AD B2C. Now, what this does, Frank, is it does two things. Mm-hmm. By default, it will get, it's actually really nice. It will give you a username and password database, handle all that authentication. It does everything for you. It's, it's just like Microsoft's it- login you know, but it's your are own these, uh, for social networks or who, or, Oh, this is your own login, your own this is your system. Okay. Own login. This is it. So you yeah. don't have to worry about creating tables or doing anything. Nice. It handles everything. It Love also it. does two factor authentication, password reset, everything for you automatically. Perfect. Yes. Use that. <laughs> don't write your own. <laughs> now, the nice thing is that it also does social authentication for Twitter, Facebook, other Microsoft things. Sorts. I, see. I don't, I see. I don't know if it can merge the two together. Like if I log in with Twitter and email mm. or create accounts, I'm not positive. Yeah. I think, you know, Auth0 and other things like, oh, these are also similar products. You know, there's different ones out there. I'm just aware of it um, on our side because we have a cross-platform library. But besides that, that that's what that's what I would take an investigation into, especially because it mm-hmm. also supports Azure AD, which is Active Directory. So if you're in an enterprise and you have to use Azure Active Directory, the same library supports that too. So you'd have to do that anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The only thing to add to here is uh, on APIs, I have been seeing a little more complicated APIs where they're actually signing the payload now. So it's not just authentication, but it's some sort of security on top of that. So it's not just do they have the token? Can they, you know, falsify messages? Things get a little more complicated. So I think um, that might be the next step that we're all going to be banging our heads against are all these like signed messages and such. But I'm sure it won't be so bad. And for the actual topic of authentication, yeah, I think we're in a good place in the world with just let the web view do it. Let, let bigger libraries do it. Yeah, just let it do it. All right, last question. <laughs> Frank comes from Mark. Mark asks, what is our thoughts because we love to give our opinion on everything for the next one to two years in the app environment, I think maybe ecosystem, just the entire thing. I think app use will decline as browser technology bridges the gap. What do we think? What? (laughs) That's what he thinks. Uh, I disagree. 
Okay. Uh, what do we think? What, what do you think of the future? This is open-ended. Let's go with, no, I don't think app use is going to decline. App use is going up. It's only going up. It's semi-plateauing, you know, things like that. But that's just because we haven't had new devices and new platforms and things. This is an upgoing trend. We're not going to have a recession of technology, maybe as much as people would love that. It's just not going to happen. But I guess the point uh, they were trying to make was, will web apps replace native apps? Maybe. Um, Been waiting 10 years for that to happen. I don't think it's going to. Um, The newest drafts of HTML, let's call it HTML6, they're not radically different. They're not enabling any radical new scenarios or anything. So we're kind of at the status quo for the next few years is my best guess. Not much is changing. I I would love a revolution, but right now status quo. So you say you want a revolution. (laughs) Nice Mm tie-in. Good poll. I have to agree. And I'll tell you the trends that I'm seeing. The first one is a clear indication from Apple. And mm-hmm. and we talked about it on a previous episode of the Marzipanification of applications. Yeah. And Apple is always a good sense of where tech, I mean, t- I hate to say it, but they're a good sense of where they see application development going. And they have always focused on native first for good reason. I mean, they have granted, they have kind of, pushed back progressive web apps on iOS. They're starting to open up a little bit more, but they still believe really firmly in the native application approach. And on the desktop, since they were seeing more web-based applications probably slow down the MacBooks, they are opening up this marzipanification of applications. So you get native, native apps, more native, native apps on the Mac OS platform. And it's the same thing that Microsoft wanted to do with the UWPification of applications. And I've recently been watching a lot of Surface Go uh, reviews, which I'm going to be buying one. And their biggest complaint is that they have to use more web apps than native apps. And if they had the more native apps that were there to support everything, they would use it. In fact, I'm the same. I, I hardly ever want... A thousand open tabs in Chrome on my poor little MacBook Adorable. I would rather have a great, beautiful native application that wasn't Electron, just not Electron <laughs> for everything. Please, that's my some bias there. <laughs> just, I mean, Electron's fine, but just I want it optimized. You know, I want things to be optimized and fast. I'm on a tiny MacBook Adorable. It's not a, you know, iMac Pro. Not everyone can, you know, handle that and afford that, Frank. We're not all glorious yeah. app developers making billions of dollars. So that's the differentiator. We keep using this word native and we use it to mean so many different things. But in this context, there's there's two benefits. It's performance and it's taking advantage of hardware or features, you know, uh, OS features, deep down stuff. And this has been... It hasn't changed. <laughs> Web apps have always been five years behind, 10 years behind. I think about the greatest HTML5 game you can play today. And how does that compare to games on the PC from you know five years ago, 10 years ago, or even iOS? You can make the comparison. They caught up a little faster to iOS because iOS started on slow hardware. But <laughs> um, there's just 
they're behind. It's that simple. And they're behind not because HTML is bad. HTML is wonderful. The browsers are amazing. They're behind because they have to support literally every computer ever made that can run a stupid web browser. So there's a million fallback pads. There's a million browser things that has to happen. You know, the, <laughs> you're running on every device that can render HTML. So they're, they're, it just unfortunately has to be behind native development and apple sells operating systems apple sells hardware so they have a vested interest in pushing it but for now they're right like i if i want to write the fastest best game i'm going to write it for uh windows using a gtx 1080 as my reference not a 10 year old graphics card or i'll use ios 11 as my reference not ios 7 yeah and as applications start to pivot a little bit more into incorporating a lot more machine learning and AI and augmented reality. These are going to be things that are super optimized, at least first on the native platform. So you're going to see more development there, even for CoreML, for instance, and I'm using TensorFlow or ARKit. And as those progress, those applications that are going to be installed downloads you know, are there. Now, mm-hmm. not everything needs to be yeah. built natively. I'm not saying that every single app needs to be native. I, I right, love that. Exactly. But at the same time, you're. I don't think you're going to see a big super trend in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's the engineering trade-offs haven't changed. They're the same trade-offs we've been dealing with for the last 10 years when deciding between the two app models. Um, maybe. Maybe it'll change someday, but not going to happen too soon. <laughs> it could be. You're also talking to two native developers. So there's that. So, you know. Ooh, biases left and right. <laughs> biases. Everything is a No, bias. let me take that back. I would love to be a web developer. I have a hard time making money on the web is the tricky part. So, you know, I actually don't have any heavy bias against the web. So I'm, I'm even going to discount that one. I'm not biased. <laughs> I, I, you know, there, I would say that I'm not against the web in general. I mean, I make websites and I do things. The... The bias for me is that when I pick to do mobile development, I guess I go down a native route and prefer the being getting access to the native APIs at a raw level compared to not. Yeah. yeah. So and inheriting all the wonderful Apple design features. If they say that's how you should write an app, that's how you should write an app. <laughs> that's I am pretty sure is a hundred percent accurate statement. So with that, I think, Frank, we did it. We did go over. We definitely went over a few Woo! minutes here and there, but we did. We went it. over all of them, I think. Yeah, so I failed. I, w- I was trying with the clock this time. We failed. But this was a fun one. It was a really eclectic set. We went nerdy, got nerdier, and then pontificated, and that's terrible. <laughs> I don't even know what that word means. So on that, we will end uh-huh. this podcast, Frank, because you're using big words, and it's nearly 11 o'clock p.m. in Ireland. So I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And of course, you can always tweet at us at Merge Conflict FM and tell us what you want to hear, not only just on the podcast, but maybe the next lightning round. Let us know. Just go ahead and tweet at us anytime for anything possibly you need. Now, of course, if you're listening and subscribing, don't forget to rate, subscribe, share it with your friends, do all those things. If you're using Apple Podcasts, we would love a review. It really helps us out. If you're using uh, Overcast, gives us a heart. And if you're using Pocket Cast, Gosh darn it. Send them a tweet and say feature merge conflict. It's a great episode. Just tweet at them. Just keep telling them that they need to feature us. And that'd be great. We would love it forever. So until next time, this has been another merge conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.